Welcome to Studio Tulsa. I'm Rich Fisher. Oklahomans suffer from some of the highest food insecurity rates and diet-related disease prevalence in the country. And during the pandemic, though, with more generous benefits and eligibility requirements and major efforts to increase awareness, food insecurity decreased in the state. A number of lessons were learned, both nationwide and in the state, during the pandemic. And though some of the expanded benefits have ended, federal nutrition programs have made changes to some of the rules and basic benefits throughout the range of federal programs, which include SNAP for working families, disabled and older Americans, WIC for expectant and postpartum mothers and their children, students through school, after school, and summer meal programs, and the commodities program for nonprofit food programs. Stacy Dean is a deputy undersecretary in the Department of Agriculture's Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services. We'll be visiting Tulsa next week to promote some of the changes to the summer childhood hunger programs. She joins me as my guest today, along with Chris Bernard, the CEO of Hunger Free Oklahoma, which works with local agencies and state agencies on food insecurity efforts and the efforts to enhance access to anti-hunger programs available across the state. They join me today on Studio Tulsa. Stacy and Chris, uh, thanks very much for joining us here on Studio Tulsa. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Can we start by defining the scope of food insecurity, both nationally and here in the state? Let's get a look at the national picture first. Stacy, uh, can you give us a, a sense of the scope of food insecurity? Sure. Uh, we The latest numbers we have are for 2021, and a little over uh, 10% of our country are food insecure, which means that their households, they, either they or someone in their households struggled to afford or access uh, healthy, adequate food. And in Oklahoma, and Chris, you should jump in on this, it's actually quite a bit higher. It's nearly 14% of Oklahomans uh, struggle against hunger or are food insecure. Yeah, that's absolutely right. One in five kids in Oklahoma, one in seven um, individuals, and uh, it has been a, a constant struggle. We are routinely in the top five of states in terms of food insecurity. Well, let me ask you sort of a follow-up on that. Of those numbers, 10% nationally, nearly 15% here in the state, are they all qualifying for federal nutrition help, or are there are there gaps and loopholes for some of the, that population? Well, by and large, most individuals who are food insecure are eligible for assistance either through uh, our, our federal food programs or other forms of help like Medicaid or EITC. But I do, that's not, of course, not everyone who struggles against hunger yeah, does qualify. There are certain groups that uh, for whom the safety net is uh, just less available. And uh, that's generally going to be working age adults without kids in the household. They're often, uh, the safety net is just uh, stricter for them. And in Oklahoma, and I think, yeah, go ahead, Chris. In Oklahoma, I think one of the challenges is even if they do qualify, we've built quite a stigma around federal programs in our state, right? So um, whether it's a sense of pride or people thinking they just won't qualify because that's not for them, whatever it is, you have a lot of people who could access it who maybe aren't. And that's a lot of what we work on is how to how to reduce that stigma, how to make sure people who do qualify know they qualify and have the assistance they need to apply for it. Um, and working with stakeholders to do that same thing, whether it be 
you know, SNAP, which is formerly known as food stamps, or child nutrition programs, making sure schools or whatever agencies are in some way interacting with those folks are aware of the resources they can offer and how to connect people to them. We will talk about that stigma a little bit later, but first I want to talk a little bit about uh, what has happened during the pandemic. Because a part of the pandemic emergency, there were additional uh, federal food benefits, uh, expansion of SNAP, and what impact has that had on American and Oklahoma families? Well, look, uh, you know, as individuals and, of course, as a country, there were a lot of lessons learned during the pandemic. But one lesson we definitely uh, uh, took away is that we know what works to reduce food insecurity. Uh, it takes not only strong food and nutrition assistance programs, which we already had and strengthened heading into the pandemic, but it's other policies that the administration uh, sought to strengthen during the pandemic and would like to keep permanent investments in rental assistance, uh, the child tax credit, you know, other other investments in child care. It's those upstream investments that help struggling families uh, with their with their needs that they have so that they don't end up being hungry. And all of that work together, actually, um, uh, we saw the prevalence of uh, food insecurity largely hold steady across the country, and it actually declined for households with children in 2020 and 2021 because of the work that the federal government did through investments from Congress and the administrations to help people. So we know what works, and I, uh, this administration really hopes that we do more of that. Let me ask yeah. you, Stacey, as a follow-up, uh, you know, it's one thing to convince Congress and other policymakers that, you know, food assistance, more generous food assistance helps everyone. But when you get into things like rent assistance, is it hard to make that connection with legislators that – this ties back to food insecurity? You know, there are obviously folks across uh, who, who have a range of views on uh, where's the best first place to uh, make government investments. But time and time again, we see that adequate wages, affordable childcare and housing, and affordable health insurance, these are just powerful uh, investments, not just in the needs of families today, but they yield benefits over the long term in our future. It makes for, it makes it uh, a stronger local economies when everyone is doing well and not struggling. And I think uh, it's when we all come together and we see that need that we uh, we see those kinds of investments. Chris, if I can turn to you for a second and ask um, the, the expansion of, of food benefits and some of the other initiatives that happened during the, the pandemic emergency under the legislation, did you see a, a, a change in how that affected the average Oklahoman that is suffering from food insecurity and coming to your, your agency? Oh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we deal mostly with agencies that are serving folks. We don't do a lot of direct service, so we have a a few programs, but what you saw to Stacy's point is, you know, if you're food insecure, that's not your only resource struggle, right? So all of these different programs working together, including the maximum SNAP benefit for every household that happened during the pandemic, the flexibilities around um, the child nutrition programs where families could pick up a week's worth of meals at once for their kid, um, pandemic EBT, which has now transformed into summer EBT, all these things what you saw is people more stable, right? And not having to, if they hit one crisis or one expense, 
really think, okay, what do I have to give up? Like which one of my basic needs is going to take a hit this month because I have this expense. People had a, you know, they were just a little more comfortable and able to weather a storm. And what we saw when these things went away is a lot of stress. A lot of people saying, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent and feed my kids now that these benefits are, are ending. And we did take some lessons to Stacy's point. So Oklahomans in my field have been calling for the non-congregate meals where parents could pick up meals for their kids in the summer and summer EMBT for a pretty long time. And uh, the administration was able to get that done during the omnibus negotiations, which is huge for kids in the summer when they lose access to those school meals. Um, but what we see now is more folks struggling. You could actually track when pandemic EBT benefits were released in Oklahoma. Um, there were weekly surveys that were done around food insecurity. And when those benefits would get released by the state, the next week you would actually see reports of food insecurity go down for families. Right. So you can have, I mean, you can look at the data and it's very direct and very clear what impact these things had. Chris, I'm glad you mentioned uh, some of the uh, school feeding programs during the summer because that first uh, summer of the pandemic, I think this was a major lifeline in at least in Tulsa and probably around the state where where schools were were doing this. What were the some of the lessons we learned on a state basis from that summer feeding program and the breakfast and lunch programs for children? Well, I mean, the lesson learned is if we put less red tape around it, more people will access it. So we have historically been one of the worst performing states in the country in terms of kids who are on free and reduced lunch accessing summer meals. And when all of those restrictions were lifted across the whole state, we went from less than 2 million meals in the summer to 20 million meals in the summer in 2021. Um, we saw more sites because there was less red tape. People didn't need um, folks on site to watch each kid eat their meal and make sure you know, all the rules were being followed. Um, it's, it's a much less arduous process on the group that wants to help give the meals out and for families, right? I mean, imagine if you're a struggling working parent and for your kids to access these meals, you have to drive them to a site, sit there and let them eat, and then drive home. Um, one, your lunch hour isn't long enough to do that. If you even get a lunch hour at breakfast, you're probably scrambling to get to work, right? There's all these barriers that we removed and we saw when removed, families really accessed what they needed. Is, is, there, is that a similar story on a national level, Stacy? Yeah, that's right. We, you know, we we were in the middle of a crisis nationally, and uh, we we made a lot more help available, and we lowered some of the core barriers to get that help because, of course, of the public health needs and concerns. Uh, for example, doing telephone interviews, allowing people to uh, pick up their benefits uh, and take them home, or uh, offering summer meals in some of the in innovative ways Chris has described. And so what we're trying to do is figure out what do we bring forward in a post-pandemic new normal? What were, what were things, that, in the innovations that we just don't want to live without moving forward and, and other things where we do need to return uh, to more structure and um, some of the, the regular old rules. So for example, online shopping and SNAP, that was something that was moving along in a really slow, uh, deliberate 
uh, pace, and uh, we saw the need uh, to turn that on uh, almost immediately. Um, and try and 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 we've just achieved nationwide online shopping with SNAP benefits, which is an incredible innovation, right? And we don't want to go back from that, but we do need to make sure that we, uh, as we as we pursue it, we're doing it well, and we've got lots of rigor uh, and integrity in our approach. So it's always a balancing act. My guests today are Stacy Dean. She's a deputy undersecretary in the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services. And Chris Bernard is the CEO of Hunger Free Oklahoma. As we talk about anti-hunger initiatives on a federal and local level, Dean will be visiting the state and Tulsa next week to look at uh, some of the anti-hunger initiatives and food insecurity efforts going on in the state. And they're my guests today on Studio Tulsa. Well, certainly uh, during the pandemic, because of the pandemic emergency legislation and and uh, the ability to to expand some of the efforts against food insecurity, uh, I think nationwide we saw uh, a lowering of that rate. Uh, now that's over. How big an impact has the expiration of of those extra benefits had on the typical family that is struggling with food insecurity? And I'll start with you, Stacy. Well, it's a big adjustment. We are talking about families with incredibly low incomes that are counting every penny, not every dollar, but literally every penny in order to meet their basic needs. And when you've got a shock to the system, uh, whether it's the expiration of unemployment insurance or the dialing back of health coverage through Medicaid or uh, SNAP benefits, it has a big impact. But when those things all tend to happen when they're happening together because it's the end of the public health emergency. It's a real challenge. Of course, you know, these these investments were meant to be temporary, but yet the families, of, of course, are, are uh, their experience is not a, an abstraction around public policy. It's uh, it's that there's just less money to purchase food each week. I mean, just to follow up, uh, uh, certainly you, there is, there's a good deal of evidence that this sort of lowered some of the barriers for families having access to healthy, nutritious food. Is there things you can take away to maybe change the way we structure our benefits in the future on a permanent basis, even though it may not be quite as generous as they were during the pandemic? Are there things they can do to to make sure that that rate continues to decline? Well, first I'll say we, we, we have taken some changes uh, or adopted some practices. For example, Congress uh, directed USDA to reassess the basic benefit, uh, the basic um, uh, food plan that we use to uh, determine SNAP benefits. So it's called the Thrifty Food Plan, and it's been in place for about 45 years. And uh, we had the opportunity at their direction to reassess whether it was sufficient to purchase a healthy, low-cost uh, basic diet. And we determined that it wasn't. And so took action to um, basically increase that uh, basic food plan cost estimate, which had an impact on increasing SNAP benefits by about 21% across the board. So while families, as they lose their emergency help, are going to a lower benefit, it is larger than it was uh, before the pandemic. And that was the first readjustment that had been done in about 45 years. So that, I think, was a really important change and one we'll be taking with us into the future. And as I said, online shop- shopping and SNAP was an incredible innovation that will help seniors and households with disability, individuals in rural areas. 
um, trying to do more service over the phone. Those kinds of things we need to uh, bring forward. But we also need to acknowledge not, not everything we saw in the pandemic was a success. We actually, uh, as Chris pointed out, you know, there was so much need out there. I think there's a statistic that says something along the lines of huge numbers of households are $400 away from an economic crisis. And COVID exposed that. But also exposed that these problems aren't equally experienced. Uh, families with children experience them more. Families of color experience them more. And so those uh, we don't what we don't we didn't solve that problem. But what we need to do is make sure that our awareness of that problem stays with us as we move to the future and uh, try to address these kinds of inequities. And Chris, on a uh, more of a statewide basis, did we see? Uh, some of those areas where people with children, people of color, were they uh, affected in a positive way during the pandemic? And can can we leverage that after the pandemic assistance has gone down to maybe help those families out? I mean, so certainly we saw that the benefits helped everyone. But to Stacy's point, the pandemic hit communities of color, marginalized communities harder. Um and so those benefits were even more needed there. I think lessons learned, Stacey's point, because I'm an advocate, I can probably take a little bit um, <laughs> more aggressive approach, right? Like I would even say, I think we need to look at changing who qualifies for SNAP, right? The poverty line is a pretty old measure and 130% of the poverty line for a single person, you're talking about $13,000 a year. So it's not a lot of money. Um, people need help. So I think from an advocate's perspective, we'll be talking about all those things. But what we did see is programs that maybe were small at the beginning of the pandemic really were utilized at a heavier rate. And um, it, it brought to light for our state government what was needed. So for instance, we launched a hotline at the beginning of the pandemic to assist people in enrolling in SNAP to try and remove some of those barriers. And um, it was so successful, the state worked with us to write a plan. So now the, the federal government funds that as part of a SNAP outreach plan. Uh, half of it in the state covers the other half. Um, we work with a network of people now to also execute that plan. Both of our food banks and other community partners help with SNAP enrollment and outreach. Um, our Double Up Oklahoma program that matches SNAP dollars, dollar for dollar in fresh produce and participating stores we saw the need for that and the utilization of that skyrocket. Um, we were actually just kind of launching it right when COVID hit. And we now have received um, one of the largest federal grants ever to help expand that program even further and go into 50 stores across the state. So I, there were lessons learned from a federal policy perspective, but I, I think from the state perspective, also um, learning how do we remove those barriers and what what can we do within current waivers and other allowances to make sure people who are struggling uh, can access the benefits they need to thrive? I, I do want to f uh, follow up on that because, you know, our state has not had the greatest track record in uh, providing assistance like this in the past. Uh, do you think mm -hmm. uh, do you think the, that eyes have been opened and, and there's a new willingness on the state level? to engage in innovative work to reduce food insecurity and basically help those living on the margins, the, those people that are $400 away from having a, a complete financial crisis? 
I absolutely do. Um, you know, my organization's been around for six years, and literally our mission is how do we leverage federal nutrition programs? But we look at other federal funding streams as well that the state maybe hasn't utilized in the past. I think we have a honestly a pretty visionary leader in our Secretary of Human Services now for the state, Justin Brown, who understands that if we want people to get out of poverty, right, the old pick yourself up by your bootstraps, there has to be a structured step-by-step sort of benefit interaction, case management, all those things to help people get there. And that it's not about a handout, it's about a hand up. He he speaks very eloquently about it. And um, when we even look at, we do public polling, we can see that the attitudes of your average Oklahoman are very much in favor of these programs when you take the politics out of it, right? When we use neutral language, um, a majority of Oklahomans think Congress isn't doing enough to address food insecurity. They um, think that we should be spending more to help people access healthy and nutritious food. They support um, kids, every kid in Oklahoma, having access to free meals at school, right? So the public attitude is there when we take politics out of it. And I think that's what we need to do as a state government and our D.C. delegation is stop thinking about the political aspects of it and really look at the data and what works. And if we do that, we can have a safety net that works for people much better. My guests today are Chris Bernard, CEO of Hunger Free Oklahoma, along with Stacey Dean, Deputy Undersecretary for the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services, who will be visiting Tulsa next week as we talk about anti-hunger initiatives on a federal and local level. And uh, Chris, you mentioned the Double Up Oklahoma program. Tell us how this works. And, and Stacy, what has been the federal re- reaction to, to a program like this and how it can affect uh, food insecurity? Uh, let me begin with Chris. Tell us what Double Up Oklahoma is. So it's a model, and we weren't the first to adopt it. It's actually, uh, we work with a group out of Michigan called the Fair Food Network when it first started. And we still work with them for technical assistance. But it it matches dollar for dollar when a SNAP purchase is made with a benefit that is exclusively for fresh produce. Um, and it's up to $20 a day for a SNAP recipient. Um, so in our model, it doesn't matter what you buy with SNAP. As long as it's a SNAP eligible item, you'll get the, the equivalent match that goes just towards fresh produce. And the reason we built our model that way is because we're really trying to affect behavior, right? Oklahoma is 49th in fruit and vegetable consumption in the nation. So we wanted to influence behavior to not only increase food security, but really try and impact health. So we started, we took that program on from another organization about three years ago, and the total benefit distribution per year was about 100,000. It was only operating in farmers markets. We've expanded now into 12 grocery stores and have quite a few on the list to expand into. And um, the total benefit last year was about 3.3 million that Oklahomans directly spent in our local grocery stores on fresh fruits and vegetables. We're seeing impacts where it increased in our participating stores, uh, snap purchases of fresh produce go up almost 400% in some of our Mm. stores. Um, It results in the whole community having access to a better variety of fruits and vegetables and also fresher fruits and vegetables. Like uh, our flagship store in Okima went from ordering produce once a week to three times a week. 
they had to hire two new staff just to kind of maintain the the produce section, right? So it created jobs. It's um, it's really a transformational program for particularly rural Oklahoma, but then also in urban areas that struggle with food deserts. So we're in the Oasis grocery store in North Tulsa and seeing huge success there. Um, and that's really where we try and target is places that are right on the edges of these food deserts where access to food is a struggle, but access to healthy food especially is a struggle. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's uh, amazing that, uh, you know, that that can actually affect your SNAP purchases because I assume if you're buying fresh fruit and products with your SNAP benefits, then uh, then you're able to even have a, a overall much greater healthy diet. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the interesting part of that is it's influencing what you use your normal SNAP dollars for, yes. not just our benefit, right? Like we knew you, they'd use our benefit. Um, but it's influencing buying patterns with the core SNAP dollars as well. We only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, Stacy. if I can ask you, you know, the debt ceiling deal uh, seemed to affect the ability to, uh, on some of the anti-hunger efforts. Uh, what came out of that deal as far as, I know there's talk about a little more work requirements. What are the details as far as it, how it affects food insecurity efforts on the federal level? Um, sure. Thanks for asking about that. Well, the debt ceiling deal was uh, it was a compromise piece of legislation, uh, right? That um, uh, not everybody got what they wanted, but it helped move us forward with respect to uh, maintaining the full faith and credit of the United States and setting up a budget framework for the coming the the next few years. In terms of SNAP, uh, the it, at a high level, the proposal did two. Did two made two changes to SNAP's three month time limit. Right now, SNAP benefits are limited to three months for uh, households between the ages of uh, 18 through 49, uh, unless they're working 20 hours a week. And that that rule is uh, uh, has very few exceptions to it. And doesn't matter if you're working 19 hours a week or your employer has reduced your hours. It's a it's a pretty tough harsh rule. Uh, unfortunately, the bill uh, did expand the ages that the time limit applies to, and it'll phase in up through age uh, 54 over the next few years. But it also provided some long overdue and much needed exemptions from the rule. So uh, uh, homeless individuals who were actually expected to work 20 hours a week will now be exempted from that time limit. Veterans will be exempt, uh, exempted from that time limit, and uh, youth aging out of foster care will also be exempted. So it both um, expanded the time limit, but uh, provided some long overdue uh, exemptions. And uh, for some people, we'll see their food insecurity improve, and some will see it uh, get worse uh, as they're now subject to a other rule. And uh, we're going to work, and this is a perfect example of what Chris was talking about earlier. We need to work with states to make sure that uh, there, we, there's no confusion about the changes and that everyone who's eligible for an exemption uh, can claim it. And uh, so we're actively working on that now. All right. Well, we thank you. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. And we look forward to your visit to Tulsa next week and, and further work to lower the incidence of hunger, uh, both here locally and nationwide. Stacy and Chris, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.
Stacy Dean is a deputy undersecretary in the Department of Agriculture's Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services, along with Chris Bernard, the CEO of Hunger Free Oklahoma. They're my guests today. Dean will be visiting Tulsa next week to speak with a range of individuals working on food insecurity efforts in our state. She'll also be visiting some of the summer meal program sites around the city as well. Well, that's Studio Tulsa for today. Our program is produced and edited by Scott Gregory. The views of our guests and commentators are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of KWGS or its licensee, the University of Tulsa. I'm Rich Fisher. Thanks for listening, and do stay safe out there today.